Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. This is Craig Moorhead. And I'm Sean Harwell, and this is a podcast where we talk about the movies that we missed. And uh, on that note, <laughs> that's yeah, where am I going with that? You're going right to our special <laughs> guest, aren't you? And today we're talking with special guest and beer aficionado Todd Rohall, uh, filmmaker, Austinite, uh, Ohioite. I think it's Ohioan is what they. I don't. I don't well, think it's Ohioite, Craig. Yeah, it. I don't know. I think it sounds pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Todd, hello. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, Craig. Hi, Sean. <laughs> thanks for joining Hi, me. Hi, Todd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure. Good. Thank you, Todd. You, you've been through a lot today to assemble the recording devices that are <laughs> aiding us in this podcast right now. Uh, I don't want anyone to think it's not a hard thing to do to podcast. It's not easy. Don't just jump into it. No, right. thinking. It requires right. a lot of equipment. And I'd like to thank Clay Lyford of Well Tailored Films for loaning me oh, his yeah. recording equipment and his microphone. Thank you very much, Clay. Thanks, Clay. So let's get started. So for this show, this is the first time we've had a guest on Never Heard of It. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Todd a little while about making movies. And then we're going to talk about a movie called Reflections of Evil from 2002, a Damon Packard movie about all sorts of things. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so anyway, so first, it's, it's Todd time. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Is this a segment of the show that's you do Todd time in every episode? We do. We do. So far, it's been cut out of each episode. Yeah. We're but, waiting but we... <laughs> to get uh, Todd Salons and... Uh, <laughs> What's the other Todd Fields? Todd Bridges. Todd, Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges. Yeah. 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 It's never so easy. We, but yeah, this is the first Todd we've actually managed to get on the show. Right. Yeah. Oh. Thank you so much again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Todd, uh, we're, we're, all three of us are friends. Uh, uh, Todd, I met, man, in the early 2000s, I guess. And uh, what I remember of this, I just want to start off with this, is. Uh, a mutual friend had given us a DVD that had Todd's short film Knuckleface Jones on it. I think Knuckleface Jones is available out there on the net. Todd, is that true? It is. It's on my Vimeo page. All right. We're going to put a link to that out there yeah. so people listening can can check it out. But uh, me and a friend watched Knuckleface Jones every night for a solid week. Every night we would come home from work and be like, we got to watch that movie again. We'd watch it every week. And then, and then one day, it, having watched it seven days in a row... Todd magically appeared at work, and we met him. It's like the ring, right? It is. It's like the ring, but a lot <laughs> really less, cool. a lot less deadly, or okay. yeah, or re- remarkable, really, when you think about it. It was less Japanese too. There's almost mm-hmm. no, it like, no. It was like the white ring. <laughs> Can I interrupt for one second oh. though, and just say, uh, having gone to film school and having made short films. And having seen, no, no offense to anyone that we made short films with, but I, I can't think of many, very, very few that I would want to watch seven days in a row. Yeah. Um, so that's saying, so if you've ever seen a short film, you probably know that this means something, right? Right. I mean, and that was, that was yeah, specifically our experience. Uh, yeah. We were, not, was, we were not people who watched short films every night. This was I haven't pre- watched my own short films seven times, period. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't intend to ever. So that, that says something. Yeah. This was pre-internet as well, right? I mean, yes. they were pre-television for you. Uh, pre- you- <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, this was this was really at the beginning of everything. It was the first thing mm-hmm. you'd ever seen, the first moving picture. It was like you were a train pulling into the station. It was like you saw it and you were just amazed to see these moving images. Ben went from Knuckleface Jones and other short films, I imagine. I've seen some of your short films after knowing you as a feature filmmaker, and yes, they're fantastic. Uh, but you then made Guatemalan Handshake was your first feature, correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and then you've since made the Catechism, Cataclysm, and Nature Calls, starring Johnny Knoxville and Patton Oswalt. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with these movies, since this is sort of the subject of our podcast here, uh, these are definitely three movies that you should have heard of and should seek out. And so we will help you on the website and Facebook, and we'll help you find these movies, and you should see them immediately because they're all great. And you've been making some short films since then. Uh, I recently watched Rat Pack Rat, which I think is still on YouTube, and which I told Craig has some really amazingly typical YouTube comments if you haven't looked at them lately. <laughs> I never uh, looked at the comments. They are fantastic. Uh, I, it's a great, great, great short film uh, starring Steve Little of Eastbound and Down fame and the late, great Eddie Rouse. And uh, that's another one. Uh, that you can very easily watch in, what, about 15 minutes um, if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, go do that immediately. And then, um, so let's talk about, yes, I'm also kind of curious, like, what the road has sort of been uh, th- these past couple years, because as Craig and I are talking about these movies and, you know, even, oh God, like, Two Faces of January, where we talked about a movie that had Viggo Mortensen and Kirsten Dunst and Oscar Isaac, and it's still so, so very, very hard to get your name and your movie out there when you've got even like those those big, big Oscar caliber actor elements. What's it been like for you to promote your movies and sort of navigate the landscape of whatever the hell it looks like now um, in theaters? Because it's definitely changed probably from the start of when you made your shorts in Guatemalan to you know, now, or, or when you made Nature Calls even, or do you even consider that when you're, when you're crafting a movie or when you're, you're writing a script, what, what's your, your end game for, for what you want to do and how has that changed maybe in the past 10, 15 years? Well, everything I've made, I've thought, you know, everybody's going to love this, you know, from the writing right. stage through the shooting it, through finishing it. And then it's like usually at the first screening of it when I realize, oh, this isn't a movie for everybody. <laughs> like, like oh, what did we do? Really? You know, okay. like, um, but I think that that's the, I mean, it's best to go about it that way. I think to, to think, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for, for everybody. I hope everyone loves this. You know, there's mm-hmm. not this feeling of like, I can't wait to isolate, you know, um, some people and, you know, or, you know, like make some people feel left out. You know, I, I think that just, that's just a side effect of it. But I think mm-hmm. all comedies like that, you know, like, I think that's yes. just kind of the risk, you know, and, um, uh, and, and it's just, I, I, yeah, you can't, I, I can't think any further on it other than I just got to keep doing what I, yeah, I think is, is right and funny and follow that. So yeah, I mean like even like this last, I made a movie called uncle Kent too, which was a sequel to a movie no one ever saw. We just finished that. And like when we're that one, I was very aware, like this is going to be very limited of whoever sees this because of the nature of what it is. But ultimately I think the movie is very accessible. Anyone could watch it. Anyone can get it. It just doesn't have. Michael Sarah in it, you know, it's just like, it doesn't have right. that. So what can I do about that? Nothing. The movie still is funny to me. And yeah, we just kind of got to put it out there into the world and then hope that once this culture dies out, that there'll people that dig back into it and discover these little <laughs> nuggets that we made. 
Yeah, and I think that's interesting because I sort of have a similar feeling that some of this stuff is cyclical as far as the you know the taste of of well, a just a studio machine in Hollywood, but then the audience as well. Um, but let's we'll get into that I think a little bit with reflections of evil. But I am also kind of curious, just sort of. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about like thinking every movie is going to be made for the widest possible audience. Is there a time though, um, maybe just earlier in your youth, where you specifically fell in love with a movie that you knew was not for, say, that your parents would have hated, or that even was a hard sell for your friends? Or uh, were you ever sort of conscious of the fact that you were into stuff that was decidedly not in the mainstream yeah yeah that's sort of like the the fate that i've been dealt i think of like loving the stuff that i loved even as a kid Mm -hmm. i'm kind of making those things now i mean if you made peewee's big adventure now it wouldn't be released on a you know a bunch of screens it would be like very 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 small you know like it would just like i think that that stuff raising arizona these kind of movies that i really loved are like the quiet movies that would probably fall by the wayside. That kind of humor doesn't, nothing gets made like that anymore. It's so specific. And now, you know, humor's so much more broad and just about balls and penises <laughs> and stuff because that's universal. You know, like everyone in China thinks that's just, funny too. Yeah. Yeah. So, the stuff that I write, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm <laughs> No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, it's true. I mean, yeah, you have to do that kind of, if, uh, it's, it's funny just that you mentioned Raising Arizona, which is also, I mean, I was thinking about that question earlier today and Raising Arizona was definitely a movie that, I've always loved and was one that I sort of fell in love with as a kid. And I mean, I know people now that love the Coen brothers that do not find that movie funny at all. And in fact, I read something recently where I think Joel Coen was like, yeah, where we were, we were mastering some of these for Blu-ray and it's like, I don't know, Raising Arizona, that one was just like, Ooh. and I was like, yeah. what? No, he's wrong. He's yeah. so wrong. It's, it's great. It's hysterical. But, uh, no, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know, Craig, you got any other questions for Todd? You want to hop into the movie? Or? Yeah, I was wondering, uh, like, is there a movie that's kind of a, a touchstone for you in terms of like when you really started thinking, man, I want to make movies? Like, Is there something that set you off? Uh, yeah, it's probably pretty lame, though, whatever that movie is. I mean, it was very early on. I said I wanted to make movies when I was in kindergarten. I remember saying that wow, explicitly okay. to a kid in this little playhouse thing, and, they, and, and yeah. I remember saying it. But I don't remember what I was watching then. I don't have any memories earlier than that. Like, it blanks yeah. out for another, like, five years until I have another memory. Man, so but, the drinking um, started early. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's just, like, falling down. I fell down a bunch of stairs. <laughs> and, but, do, you, uh, do you remember what that kid's response was when you said that? Um, uh, I think he tried to kiss me. I think he tried to make oh, out Oh, probably, me, yeah. yeah. It was kindergarten, yeah. Uh, that still happens now, right? When you tell people you want to make movies, right? They just kiss it's, you. It's interestingly <laughs> enough, it's lost its, um, you know, it's lost its. It, that was, you know, that was pre like the Sundance hype, the indie scene. You know, it was like sure, no one was really. Yeah. And then that came and went, and now it's just you tell somebody you're making movies. It's like saying that, yeah, you're. I mean, that is. You got SARS, right? right. <laughs> SARS, and I'm, and I'm a garbage. They go another way not to kiss you, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, what about you? Actually, that's a great question, Craig. What about, I mean, for you as well, what is there a movie that sort of uh, kicked off a sort of filmmaker germ? It's interesting you should ask me that, uh, Sean, because there is a movie. I think so, too. Yeah, uh, you just asked someone no, that. For me, it was always uh, it's all, uh, Poltergeist. I saw Poltergeist. Oh, okay. my, my dad took me to see it, and he disavows that, that ever happened. But I know I sat in a theater with my dad, and we watched Poltergeist, and I was seven years old, I guess. And so I was completely terrified, just <laughs> utterly terrified. And, and, I, and I remember yeah. specifically with the bit where the clown attacks the kid. Like, I was mortally just, just petrified. 
everyone in the theater around me is laughing. Including your father, right? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I remember my dad leaning over a lot and saying, uh, are you okay? And I was like, I guess so. Like, I, I didn't want to leave. I'd never asked him to leave, yeah. but everyone was laughing when this kid is like about to be strangled to death by a clown. And I was like, what, mm. what is funny about this? <laughs> I was yeah. really weirded out know, by right? everything about it, but I couldn't, I became really obsessed with gross stuff and scary stuff and, and movies in general. <clears throat> so that was me. Cool. What about you, Sean? I don't know. I think me for me, it was probably much later, maybe even in high school, watching something like uh, I remember our English teacher showing us Apocalypse Now because we read Hearts of Darkness, you know, yeah. and going, holy crap, like, what is this? And why are we watching it on like a 13 inch TV <laughs> in the corner of a classroom? As it was in town. Uh, as, as Coppola had in mind. Yes. Uh and so, I mean, that was definitely one that stuck with me, aside from, yeah, all the early, you know, Raising Arizona and all the comedies and crap that you would pick up at the VHS store. Yeah. Um, but as far as thinking about, like, oh, yeah, somebody actually had to write this and direct this, that didn't happen until, yeah, um, pretty late high school. Um, I have another question uh, for Todd, just because so much has changed with the internet and you would think that, okay, well now it's a thousand times easier to hear about movies like reflections of evil. And Craig and I will talk about, you know, I had never heard of this movie, but uh, is there a good resource for you um, to hear about the kind of stuff? I mean, I know you're obviously kind of clicked into this community and you probably have a, not, a lot of other filmmaker friends um, and you've done the festival circuit and stuff, but I don't know. Is there a good, how do you hear about movies or do you seek them out? Um, that, uh, you know, these kind of things that are definitely existing outside of uh, the cinema. It's, Plex at the mall. Yeah, I feel, that's a good... I, I would like to hear what you guys do, too, because uh, it feels like it's not any, it's not any easier <laughs> um, right, to hear about no. stuff. It's just as few and far between as it, as it always was, and it, because the stuff that gets a lot of talk is, tends to be not, for me, you know, like lame, like the Birdemic kind of movies and stuff like that that are just yeah. like that, I don't quite get it. Yeah. And, um, but there's, yeah, things will just kind of pop up through a friend, through some other route that you're just like kind of, that's the only way because they're so specific or they're so different. And, and part, still part of the thrill is that it's not on a, you know, not everybody's talking about it. So there is, that is part of it. And that's very, I guess, part of the hipster culture now is we can all say that no one's heard of this, but there is, um, a fun element of like still finding that. I mean, I've heard about so many things that I love through, VHS tapes being passed around and things mm-hmm. like that. And that really l- was what made that stuff. Otherwise it would just be this, you know, it's like a YouTube kind of thing that comes and goes. And, but those things really, you've, you know, felt really close to you. So there, there was something about that where it felt like you had a secret and it was, that was exciting. Not, not that you were cool. It was just that you felt connected to other people through this smaller joke. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I mean, I remember like finding film threat magazine at the you know bookstore in the mall or whatever and even just seeing like what reservoir dogs like what is this you know uh stuff like that i mean i'm kind of with you it's it's hard to for those sort of things i think to kind of cut through the chatter a little bit now i mean you would imagine that um social media would be really good for accelerating this or or pushing it but in a way i'm not sure that it is i I still Mm -hmm. think you're right i mean right now it feels like word of mouth you know is probably the most successful way. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I really would love, I, I think letterbox.com is a cool site and it's an interesting mm-hmm. sort of social media for movies concept. I don't know that anybody's nailed that in a way yet that is still, 
I mean, that that's still kind of dominated by whatever the big movie is in the theater that weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that, yeah, there's a good, that there will be a sort of avenue that will spring up somewhere, and it seems like it has to happen online, whether it's a streaming service or something else. I don't know. But if anybody's listening and knows of something that's good for that, please, God, let us know. Because yeah. <laughs> Craig and I are going to run out of movie <laughs> ideas or podcast episodes in like two weeks. Well, probably. and that's the thing, no, though. I mean, um, Todd is probably my greatest resource for finding things that I haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and mainly because I think we, we, we share a similar sensibility in the kind of out there stuff that we like. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, there's... Um, I don't know. There, there's sort of a, a certain amount of nonsense that I like in the stuff, but beyond right. that, I just feel like I'm wasting my time. And so, yeah, whenever mm-hmm. I hear something from Todd, it's usually, it's like the right amount of nonsense. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Which maybe brings us to the movie, uh, Reflections of Evil. So, yeah, Todd, if you could kind of let us know about Reflections of Evil, give us a little, little bit of background. In one sentence. Of five words. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So, Good luck. Yeah, when we were talking about a movie for this podcast, this was the first thing I thought about, um, and I think the only thing I ran past you guys. Um, this is a movie called Reflections of Evil, made in 2002, or released in 2002. Um, uh, it, it is made by a fellow named Damon Packard, who is a uh, boy genius. Um, I don't know a lot about him. The story, how I came about this movie, was in, I think, 2003, 2004, a friend in North Carolina... Uh, worked for a film festival down there, and he had this sent to him as a submission for the festival, and he sent it to me and said, you should watch this. It's incredible. And I did immediately, and I was just uh, completely flabbergasted. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and we'll get into all the hows and whys of that. So it's always been a movie I've thought about. It's been a movie I've been inspired by for now. Um, I don't know how many, I can't do the math on how many years that is, or I don't know when this podcast is being released. But um, so it's it's been... A, a good chunk of time that I've been familiar with um, with this movie. So, uh, um, yes, I am so curious. Quick question. Yes. Did it get into the film festival? It did not. Ah, <laughs> it did, okay. I don't think it I played down there. I, I don't <laughs> think it, you know, I don't know what it, it's played in. I, I, I think that it yeah. um, played in New York three or four years ago. Um, so it would still be, I feel like it's this movie that's just like ahead of its time and behind <laughs> its time and like lives in For its sure, own yeah. time. You know, it's a, uh, so I, it's a movie just made to be discovered, you know, by slowly for decades, you know, so like much to the, I'm sure disappointment of the, <laughs> filmmakers but this is how these are these are the movies i kind of yeah. uh, live for um mm-hmm. i'm curious what you guys think don't don't hold back well i i can tell you that i didn't look up anything other than we were trying to figure out where you can watch this and uh, we'll try to get a link up um on the site for sure and i think it's on youtube but uh, just based off the title I immediately thought of something like Faces of Death. And so I was like, oh, holy crap, like Todd is going to, he's going to like really put us through the ringer here and watch this thing that probably shouldn't even be released um, in any capacity. And so I definitely was relieved to, to uh, find that that was not the case. Uh, I don't think anyone explicitly gets murdered in this movie. Well, yeah. maybe. I can't remember. It's um, tough to tell if they're yeah. <laughs> it's it's being murdered. Tough to tell. There's a lot of blood. Yes, and uh, some, a lot yeah. of Franken beans, uh, and uh, but um, 
Yeah, I definitely, you know, my, my sort of thought was I have a sort of limited appreciation of like absurdist humor, even I'm still not positive that I get like Tim and Eric, you know, and, and some of the like Aquatine Hunger Force and like some of these things that I know are extremely popular. And by that token, yeah, this definitely seems ahead of the, it was like ahead of the curve with on some of that stuff. Um, but man almighty, uh, there's just some stuff that I love. And most of that was the stuff that kind of bordered on being frightening and just weird and, and dark. And, uh, you know, there's like weird, looks like video toaster face projections upon another face and these like slow mo you know, twisted screams and all these sort of anguished moments. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I was like, Oh, this just, it, there's like slices of this that are out of some weird David Lynch throwaway project or something, but then it's all mixed together with all this other stuff that at times felt like um, like something like UHF or Kentucky Fried Movie even with, you know, channel surfing. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, cuts of fake trailers or old TV commercials and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even sort of say, oh, I like this. I didn't like it. I just, I experienced it. And I think that's the whole point of it, right? Yeah, it's like going through a massive anxiety attack. I mean, it's like living through and and uh and it really this movie stopped me from moving to LA multiple times. Like it it really I, yes. put this feeling in me of like I I it was familiar enough. I lived in Baltimore, I lived in DC and um and in New York and it was just sort of like this was enough to kind of say like oh man, LA's even worse. I mean, it was just like <laughs> I, I, it, it's close enough to like I mean, reality of just understanding but it is literally like like it's somebody going through massive panic anxiety attacks um but illustrated in a way that like i i mean like i feel like psychological institutions could use this to teach people about like this (laughs) is what it feels like or something i don't know you know like it's it's just such a level of some extreme psychosis you know but it's so done so viscerally and in and in you know uh, in such creative amazing beautiful ways one of the um, things I kept thinking about throughout it, which, uh, um, and, and no, actually it hit me really halfway through, and I think mainly it was because of uh, uh, a lot of the, the news footage that started popping up and the, the front pages and all that, uh, all the newspapers and everything, where I was like, oh yeah, this is 2002, so this is a short time after 9-11. So, there's, so yeah, that's when I started sort of to get like the angriness, the the anxiety of it and all that stuff, and it's completely... The entire movie feels like it's built to be completely disarming. So if there's anything that is, I feel like every time it starts to feel like, oh, this is this is pretty funny stuff, then, I mean, it it will become something that is completely the opposite of funny, and just it'll be very dark or or very gross, or uh, um, or just or just or, or or it'll just jump you into a different a different thing completely, different film stocks and video throughout mm-hmm. the entire thing you know like every piece it felt like a like a quilt it was kind of a quilt <laughs> like an like an, well, like an anxiety oh, quilt but that was the thing that's what i think became more and more fascinating to me as it went on was sometimes it felt like hey let's go make a movie as a goof and then you'd watch it another five minutes you realize this can't be a goof like you can't make something this sort oh. of epic as a goof. Like you couldn't just be like, "Oh, let's just go shoot another thirty no, seconds it, right now." Like, it, 
it's yeah it's, <laughs> oh, it's so specific i don't know yeah. it, that's the thing it's, it's so many things going on at the same time and i think that fits in exactly with what you're saying about it feeling like an it's like an anxiety attack i uh yeah I, and i'm glad that you sort of mentioned the la factor of it you know I, I do think sort of the predominant motif in this movie is this guy bob who i think is that is, is Damon Packard, right? The okay. Sort of main guy. Yes, yeah. That's I had to the, leave yeah. I mean, credits, Yeah, right. I mean, that's what it's credited as. I don't, <laughs> I'm assuming that's him. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he's walking around mostly in this movie um, through the streets of L.A. There's a lot of Hollywood in there. Um, and he, what he's wearing, like, multiple headphones around his neck, and he's got about 17 different shirts on. Uh, he's a large man. I couldn't tell if it maybe he was wearing a fat suit or some sort of pillow underneath his shirt, perhaps. It definitely looked like it was longer than his torso had any right to be. Um, but there's, I mean, if you went through this movie and just did a drinking game of how many times there's like a fight breaking out between two dudes in the background or someone just <laughs> yells off screen, I'm going to kill you. You would be drunk uh, probably a half an hour into the movie. Uh, and it just it continues. And then it will stop for, for 15 minutes and do something else entirely. Like the amazing 1970s Spielberg, young Spielberg directing so good. something on a weird, I mean, with the mannequins uh, that just goes on for like 20 minutes and is kind of crazy and insane and, and genius. And then you come right out of that, and Bob's walking around the street, and dogs are barking, and somebody's, I'm going to kill you, and it's, I'll kill you. And yeah, it's, I, I had that feeling, too, of like, you know, I, I've lived in L.A., I've spent a lot of time out there. There are obviously great parts to it, but there's something about like that sort of walking down the street in Hollywood, not, maybe not so much now, but, you know, early 2000s that... It just feels like there's a, just a palpable sense of aggression coming at you from every corner. Yeah, the the movie starts with this uh, fake Tony Curtis. I, oh, I should say too, there's probably multiple <laughs> versions of this movie. The movie, uh, the version I watched right. is from my original DVD, which was like about 140 minutes, mm-hmm. and then there's a version on Fandor that's 116 minutes. I don't. I don't know. You guys watched the Vimeo link too, which I think was closer to what we I saw on the DVD. Yeah, ours was like a uh, hundred. 15 minutes? Oh, really? That sounds about right. I mean, it it was right at two hours, I think. Oh, wow. I've seen, I think I got an extra half hour going in. So we can see where we, but it starts with this. Well, you cover that part. (laughs) It starts with this Tony Curtis uh, intro. And then he said, he's talking about a different movie and they dub in, you know, like this, you know, this is a movie made by Damon Packard and it's dubbed in perfect, like demonic Tony Curtis voice. Um, But, uh, he he says in it, he's talking about a different director, and he's, he says, this director, you know, it, for him, style was more important than story, you know? And I'm just like, yeah. that's a great intro <laughs> to this movie yes. going into it. And for anything, for sure. it's, like, going to get me into it, you know? I'm just like, I yeah. I have heard too many lectures about, like, what it comes down, what I love about movies is story, you know? And it's right. like, no, that's, yeah. like, one part, you know? And, like, yeah. so if you're going to start a movie out, with a fake Tony Curtis interview or fake Tony Curtis introduction <laughs> and have him say that it's kind of like you, you got me. Yeah. But, um, and the other thing that really locked me in is there's a scene, he's kind of stumbling around outside this guy's house and the, this couple and they keep looking, watching him and he falls down and vomits. Like this is like the history of vomit scenes in a movie in movies. This is one of the best where he just vomits like gallons of pork and beans just and it's shot perfectly like it is because you don't see his mouth you just see it cut you see it from the back of his head kind of so 
it's not. I, I thought of Team America, you know, which kind of has a vomit gag that's, oh, that's right. with puppets, obviously. Um, but it's a, it works totally differently here, you know? Yeah. There's there's one other movie that ever made me feel like I was actually going to puke, like it was going to make me puke, was... Have you ever guys seen uh, Peter Jackson's Bad Taste? Yes. I still have not, no. Well, because there's a scene where they, they, yeah. they haul this guy in, they have a huge bowl, they haul this guy in and hold him over the bowl, and he just, like, pukes <laughs> into the bowl. And, it and like, it's not even that gross until, like, about, a, like, uh, two or three minutes into it, and he's just, like, puking into the bowl. And this was, uh, I have to say, this was another vomit scene where at some point I was like, oh, God, okay, when is that going to stop? <laughs> I don't know if I'm able to handle this right now. Well, I, and there I was just, a lot uh, of vomit throughout the movie. Yeah, I love so. that. Um, I did see on IMDb the one bit of trivia for this movie. <laughs> it says that, uh, <laughs> I guess there's, there's a quote on YouTube that was apparently from David Packard himself where he said that he did not want to shoot this vomit scene. He said, the studio made me shoot that. They, they felt a, me- a mega vomit sequence would make it more marketable, especially for the vomit crowd. I didn't want that in and did it under protest, which is hysterical, right? Which yeah. we are about five years away from that being so real. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, the studio oh, notes on this movie. Any notes, like making this... Let's talk about that for a second because there's a lot of like studio... Uh, Hollywood in the background of this movie and somewhat in the foreground a little bit. I mean, I just, A, I just love that there's no, uh, you know, sense of trying to hide the fact that uh, there's miscongeniality posters in the background <laughs> and billboards and, you know, obviously like Coke and all these like products that I'm sure they obviously did not have permission to use. But then he at one point goes in and watches uh, a movie in a theater and they record like that THX intro and uh, what, what else? Oh, the Lord of the Rings trailer. And the Star and, Wars trailer. <laughs> and he's watching Star Wars episode three trailer and um, there's bits and pieces of God, what else? Was, I mean, I feel like there was some of E.T. in there, right? At least the music was used. Oh yeah. And the well, there's a lot of E.T. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, well, the right. Yeah. The Universal Studio, which the, that for sure. I, I mean, you guys know about the movie Escape from Tomorrow. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the movie where they went and shot at Disneyland without permission. Well, this was, what, you know, 10 years ahead of that. And, yeah, they're all in Universal Studios. Clearly, I'm sure they did not have permission to go on the E.T. ride with the camera. I love that. That's the other thing, too, is, like, it it drives me crazy that that he most likely, I'm assuming, couldn't make money off of this just just with the things that he used because – because, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so, like, all that stuff is so effectively used, and it's so funny, yeah. at least to me. I mean, to go in and watch that intro movie in the <laughs> E.T. ride with the dubbed Spielberg voice, and, and how they're going to save Pookie's. Pookie with the... <laughs> yeah. Pookie's Funland. Is that what he's going into? Oh, my God. And, yeah, I don't know. I remember that ride. I mean, it was, it's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you just don't see that in, in any movie. I mean, I... In, in anything, you yeah. know, and uh, I, I, there's there's some of that kind of candid camera vibe through throughout this. Um, I don't maybe Todd, you know better than I do, but I mean, it definitely feels like yeah, there are people that are you know basically glorified extras that have like some of those people that like look like they're fighting. I don't think were real fights, but then other times I'm like, well, maybe yeah. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I feel like he definitely uh, walked but, up to a few people who did not look like they were. Yeah. In the movie. 
But there's always this sure. feeling in the movie like maybe they're not shooting a movie anymore yeah. and this is real. And there's that mm-hmm. fear. And like when was the last time you went into a real movie and had actual fear for like like anything is possible. Anything can happen. And like with a movie like this, like that, I, I'm sure they're making it thinking we are not going to make a fucking cent on this movie. So let's just, you know, we can do whatever we want. We can go on the ET ride. We can do that. Like that would be the greatest thing to hear from a producer, on yeah. the, like the to, just to completely free everybody's mind. Like, and of course, that that doesn't happen once you're working with more than five people on something. But like, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's like that. That is what would free everything and and allows for that feeling. So that's why I think this is an important movie like that because they don't have. No one's sitting there and worrying about that stuff. So you get this that you get this general or genuine fear that like, man, this is scary. Like, are those people part of it? Are they not? You know, that's great. I was just gonna say they they clearly overdubbed some of those people. Like, you know, <laughs> so good. which is it works <laughs> so so, so yeah. well. And that's you know that's another thing too. It's like yeah, you just go get these people. Well, I don't know. Maybe you still need like release forms. They probably didn't have them here, but. I, I feel like what the reason I like it so much is it kind of returns me to that place where I was when I was a kid. Like when I watched Poltergeist and I only had seven years of movie watching under my belt, anything could happen in a movie. Like I had no idea. I didn't know what the constraints were. I didn't know there was a certain amount of money that could go into it. You know what I mean? Like anything could happen in any movie up to the time you're seven years old, you know? And so then to watch this and know, like, there are no rules here. Like, they don't have to satisfy any lawyers, and they don't have to worry about a budget, and they don't have to worry about marketing. They can fucking do anything they want. And that's what should be awarded at, like, film festivals. I mean, that to me is just, like, if you go in and make a movie like that, like, you are the champion of the world because there are no arts organizations who will pay you to make a movie and give you money to do this anymore. So it's, like, when the discussion is, like, how much did you sell that for? What was the box office on that? I feel like we've all failed. People at film festivals talking about that stuff. It's, like, if this guy shows up to show Reflections of Evil to an audience and it's, like, I don't care. Here's my gift to everybody. Watch this movie. Like, I'm not going to sell it. It's just free. There you go. It's it, we just went batshit crazy with it. Um, that is like they should be putting his face on like the Sundance uh, dollar bill. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's got Red, Robert Redford's <laughs> face on it. Whatever yeah. it means. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what's maybe most disappointing about that is it, uh, it seems like all the tools are absolutely in place for that to exist. You know, you've got the <laughs> internet. You got you can make a movie with your phone. Like, you know, uh, I do think you're right, though. It's it's maybe it's just that part of, well, now there's so many movies. How am I really going to cut through, uh, you know, the the noise and stand out? Well, I've got to have a bigger budget. I got to have better production value. I got to have all this and that and that and that instead of really saying no. I got to have something that's completely original, like entirely never been mm-hmm. done before, mm-hmm. and I, you just don't see that a lot specifically i don't i don't and specifically in america i guess you know i mean it's, it's probably happening somewhat overseas but um yeah it's a shame i mean it, it i would i i don't know why that's not happening more you know i would expect you know this movie would make more sense to me almost like as a 2015 movie than a 2002 movie in a, in a weird way mm. you know because of yeah they could have just grabbed their phone and made this movie and by the way it kind of looks like it maybe was shot on 16 millimeter. Am I, I mean, crazy? Or it seemed like it was definitely. all mixed. It seemed like there was a lot of uh, yeah. mixing there. Because, I mean, some of it definitely looked like video. Some of it was definitely film. Some of it. Yeah. It didn't have that sort of digital crispness that looks like 2000, yeah. you know, right. 10 
yeah. for digital video. Like it had it even it just there was something about it that felt dated yeah. and, and fun and uh, certainly germane to what he was doing with the content yeah. of the film. As crazy yeah. as that was, and obviously there's sequences which take place in the 70s, and then there's that whole like you talk about like this movie taking turns. There's there's a freaking music video from like 1960s with the Bob sister doing drugs and like this whole like yeah. uh, polyphonic spree family or something. I, I mean, it was just like the I'm like I, I can't believe I definitely look I tuned out from some of this, but it definitely was like I, he's really committing to this. This is really going to go on for another yeah. till the end of the song, right? And, and you have to, yeah, you have to tip your hat at that stuff. And um, you get to the end. I mean, everything, yeah, you, you've had this sort of, you know, vein of, of the movie industry going through the entire thing. And you get to the end, and it suddenly it's sort of building up to <laughs> a big a big climax. And you realize, and, and he's, he's at the, uh, um, Universal Studios, uh, running through there, mm-hmm. uh, going nuts. Then, then his sister has to find him, I guess? So his, his sister, sister who is dead, is dead. So it's, it's, it's the afterlife and yes. and I I'm going to go yeah. to a bigger point but I all, I just I need to mention right now the uh, sequence where people are being thrown from rides and screaming oh Jesus Christ and falling <laughs> on the ground oh my god that was the best that made me so happy that I mean like yeah that that whole but this whole ending uh that's that seems to be building to your usual movie uh ending crescendo you have to have a big ending <laughs> And then it ends with to be continued. Just like that's <laughs> yeah. Like cuz I didn't know I had I had Balls. no idea where it was going to go. So I'm I'm already in the best position ever and the fact that it didn't even end made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it made me really happy. Uh oh my god. Todd, you don't know if there's any desire I mean, you don't have any clue if there's a desire to do a sequel if that or if that was just for the sheer Joy I'm just of saying you're not going to get anything, anything yeah. to ask this question. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming so. I mean, because I mean, he's made other movies since then, and there's, okay. I, 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 you know, like I think this is his definitive. That's it, which is which is so great. But yeah, it feels like it's like ten movies in one. I mean, it's like it keeps skipping into different movies, and you're kind of like you're saying Kentucky Fried Movie. You mentioned that earlier, or just like channel yeah. changing mm-hmm. as you're watching it and like yeah that's a perfect way to end this movie but um yeah it's like the it goes into one more i think what is the quintessential moment of the movie too is like the um the spielberg there's a sequence when it's you're seeing steven spielberg film um which i originally thought was night gallery but it's not it's a a, a, um something evil which i Oh, it was a TV yeah. movie, yeah. Yeah, so it's like yeah. his, it's supposed to be the beginning of his career, and like all these guys are questioning him and yeah, and everything. Um, and uh, but that whole sequence is like you just yeah, all of a sudden you're into this like what looks like you're on Spielberg's set and yeah. shot very risky. I mean, it's it's this guy that looks just like Steven Spielberg, um, and this guy who's actually he's in this band um, called uh, uh, No Age is the band that he's in. Okay, that whole sequence to me is like could be is a whole other movie, you know, but definitely one of my favorites and. I, to the point where I, I wrote down, like, did they overdub this Spielberg's voice onto this thing from something? Like, it sounds mm-hmm. so much like him to me. I don't know. Yeah. And if it's, I mean, it felt like they just grabbed some behind the scenes DVD and took the audio from Spielberg's mouth. But that, that whole sequence, too, was also, it was cast so well with those guys that are working <laughs> on. <laughs> I mean, all those guys were just terrific. The guy cl- climbing the ladder and. 
Is that, I'm assuming that, okay, let's say that's one of your favorite moments, Todd. Craig, do you have a uh, favorite moment from this that we haven't talked about? Uh, no, not that we haven't talked about. It's really the people flying off the rides, like that whole <laughs> bit and what was happening there. Yeah, uh, I, I had a lot of great laughs and, and just some, some, you know, I was stunned many times during this and almost vomited once. But the part where people were flying off the rides, I will never forget. <laughs> I, um... I got I got two. Uh, one of my I think my favorite joke of the movie was the I think he was a police officer who <laughs> or ex police officer. He's not in uniform, yeah. but he's talking to Bobby about you know whether he wants to go to jail or give him this watch that he's <laughs> this like stolen watch that he's been hogging. And he goes on and on and on about what will happen to him in jail, <laughs> specifically from black men. Yeah. <laughs> and he's talking and talking and talking. And then it just cut. They do a cut and it was super. It says two hours later. And he's still going. <laughs> it's the simplest joke, but it works so, so well for me. And then uh, I also just, uh, this felt perfectly appropriate, but there's a lot of dogs in this movie. Like he's always like seeing dogs when he's walking around through the streets. You know, they're on leashes barking at him. He barks back at him. Well, one of my dogs when I was watching this came in and totally like did the uh, scoot his butt on the carpet thing right in front of me when I was watching this. Movie. I was like, "That's kind of fitting." Like, I can't get mad at him for that. So, uh, I also talked like I am kind of curious. Like, is there anything that you specifically feel like you've kind of taken from this movie? And you, I mean, even if it's just you've talked about sort of like what's inspiring about this. I think from a, like a philosophical level of, of filmmaking. But is there anything specific, like even technique or just some sort of joke or anything like that that you feel like you've been inspired by that you've used in another movie of yours? Yeah, I mean, I wish. I mean, I wish there were things in this I could use. I wish I was making the kind of movies that like this that I could borrow <laughs> more for. But I don't know. You know, it's like go make it's the kind of thing that like where do you? Yeah, put these things are so specific to this movie but um i mean even like the music using like the carpenter's music during that and anxiety yeah. like the, one of the biggest attack scenes where he's just walking down the street and people are coming after him and he's playing you know this carpenter song that's um we've only just begun and it's just like these amazing freak out and it's like such a great combo of that yeah. you know of uh, such a good use of that song um i wish you know to make anything that's like that bringing things that crazy together um the for this movie, we just did called Uncle Kent 2, which less people, you know, that have seen Reflections of Evil will see Uncle Kent 2. <laughs> but it's, um, there, yeah, there's like, Not now. there was, I was really inspired by, like, he has these scenes where people fall down and hit their head and just have these splatter packs behind them and their yes. heads explode and stuff. And so, yeah, there was like a scene, we had this love, uh, you know, it was written by my friend Kent and he had this kind of love montage. And I wrote in a sequence where we could try something like that, where a guy smashes, he's riding a bike and he smashes his head on the sidewalk and they're in the middle of their date, you know. So I wanted, I, that's Reflections of Evil um, and some head spherizing stuff, which totally freaks me out. I mean, like in this movie, we, we didn't do yeah. it in the same way to the same effect um, to have something that anxiety inducing. But like the, yeah, the way the, everyone's faces in this, just very simple, like early Final Cut Pro effect wise and stuff that uh that everyone's used but like to just kind of show people freaking out and it, destroy their faces it's like the way. yeah it's it's like the bulge setting <laughs> yeah. in the photo booth if you have a map yeah well um and and that's another good point um because that's something that for me has always had always had to be a part of and it's maybe because of that um the poltergeist story of everyone laughing at the clown attacking the boy and he's gonna die uh for some reason for something to be really scary to me, it has to have some perverted twist where it's also sort of humorous. 
Like there's there's also a there's a Facts of Life episode that was a Halloween episode where all the characters on Facts of Life were being murdered and like murdered in these weird ways and for some reason it freaked me out and it still kind of does just thinking about it and it's um, I mean it's yeah, the, it's the worst dumbest <laughs> sitcom humor but it's like everyone's really dying and then at some point somebody opens a door and a guy in a pig mask comes through with a chainsaw and I just remember thinking like it's kind of goofy but it's not right. And, uh, and, and like it creates a very specific <laughs> feeling in me that, that I really like for some reason. There's one great sequence when he walks by a pile of trash and there's just like a dead well, body. Well, there's just like a bloody face, or... right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was oh, the most that. disturbing Jesus. thing in the movie. And I, that is just like bust out, la- laugh out loud. Like you're at that point where it's like you've seen all these horrible things yeah. and then like, see, like that is, <laughs> that is a weird way to get a laugh. Like, and it works. It uh, have you seen this movie with a crowd, Todd? No, I, I know they showed it okay. at Lincoln uh, Lincoln Center once. There was a movie called Frownland that Ronnie Bronstein made that got a lot of attention, like in two thousand five or so. No, two thousand um, two thousand seven or eight, um, and it was basically the New York version of this to me. And, and I know that Ronnie, who made it, did not had not seen Reflections of Evil, or even heard of it. But like, I felt like there were the uh-huh. East Coast, West Coast. Like there should be a Biggie Tupac <laughs> kind of thing going on between these two guys. But I think so. Yeah. I don't. I don't think this movie did not get the love that Frontline did from all these like critics and high-minded people and stuff. Uh, Frontline does not. I mean, it has a sense of humor, but it's not. I think as explicit as this one is. And but but uh, yeah, I feel like there's a, some filmmakers doing a lot of stuff. The Safdie brothers, their new movie, Heaven Knows What, feels a lot like you know like this kind of world. You know, um, much grittier in New York wise. But like to me, this is like real like the the insanity of los angeles is perfectly captured in this movie more so than anything else i've ever seen i don't i've never i don't feel like i've ever seen another feature that kind of does what this movie does i definitely see influence in i mean a a lot of short comedy films Mm. and stuff that's being done on websites for websites that's popping up on youtube or even like a little Adult Swim shorts or whatever. There's a lot of mm-hmm. that style of humor, I think, you know, and uh, whether he's just above the, cu- you know, ahead of the cusp a little bit or, or whether people have seen this and been inspired by it, I don't know. But it, it's hard for me to say what would cause this movie from getting, you know, wider attention other than the obvious. And <laughs> I think it's maybe important to point out there's some scenes that didn't work for me at all and they go on a long time. <laughs> like, uh, there's that scene where he's at a restaurant with, I'm assuming, his mom. And she, <laughs> the whole thing is the joke of he's not going to eat anything else. And he keeps eating everything else. And it goes on for 20 minutes she's, probably, right? I, well, not 20 minutes. But there's stuff in here that's built like that to test your patience. And it kind of works within the, the broader framework of what comes before it and what comes after it. But you got to get through that stuff. And like, I, I don't know if this other movie that you're talking about that was set in New York is, is similar. But uh, I don't know. Yo, it would be interesting to know why one of these would be favored versus the other from, from you know, independent film critics or even just the press. People to have that it. on your poster being like an anxiety attack. Like not what <laughs> anyone wants to see. <laughs> right. no, what just got home from work and now true. Yeah. anxiety attack. But it's like there is yeah. there is definitely an audience for this movie, but it's just it's it's so They're high. All dead. <laughs> or they haven't been born well, yet. And, and yeah, I mean that that's that's they're, very possible. They're stuck but on I mean, the ET like ride. There are people who will watch this and say, "Yeah, like I'm up for watching a movie that's not here just to please me or you know act as a, a, a way for me to just feel better about myself." 
I'd love yeah. to meet those people. But that's Craig. the thing. But they don't. They don't <laughs> exist. I love that. That's very hopeful thinking. But I well, don't no, think well, they uh, exist. But that's the thing. I mean, the, you know, the, the movie industry is built on uh, on the, the the larger audience that wants to uh, feel good about themselves and watch something that just takes them somewhere else, that's where everything ends up happily or is you know everyone's very pretty. So I don't have to think about the ugly people at my work. And that kind of stuff, but then yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know if it's counter programming. I, I mean, I I I I, just, I hope and pray that there's a way that we can like coalesce an audience like this, and, and everyone can sort of come together and be able to find stuff like this. Because I think there are a lot of people who would be very excited about a movie like this, who will never hear about it. Well, from what I read too with this movie, Damon Packard had. Printed up. I, I had heard it was a hundred thousand, but like actually, I looked when I was reading a little bit back up on this before we were talking. I think it was like sixty some thousand or twenty some thousand DVD copies of this when DVD was just wow. kind of new, as well. So mm-hmm. that was like two thousand two. You know, like when people were really and um, he printed those up and just handed them out to people. And I heard somewhere that he left them at ATM terminals, just stacks of them, and he mailed them to every celebrity awesome. that he could. Um, and he, and, and like, he got these letter responses. I think he was kind of harassing, not, I don't think he was trying to, but I think he, some people interpreted it as harassment and he, he would publish those letters on his website. And one champion that he did have would say, was Stage Stallone, who I know you guys went to school say, with. Yeah. Right. He's in the beginning of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, oh, is he in the movie? He's, yeah. he's at the very beginning of the cut one of the f- Yeah. He's like. Yeah. One of the fake trailers. Yeah. Cause he cut, oh, yeah. For- he cut little bits into like all the, all the trailers too. God. The editing on this was nuts. But anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, he, he was, was a champion, I think, that helped him get it to some people, but it was not appreciated. <laughs> no, it's tough, yeah. And that's that's something that I think about, too, is like, you know, being in the business and, and you know, from my standpoint, you just, you don't walk into a room with an idea unless you have another movie that you can compare it to that's been successful, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's artistically, uh, you know, critically or commercially. Um and so this, it's like, yeah, what, what could he possibly say? Like, well, it's kind of like Kentucky Fried Movie. Well, no, not really, um, <laughs> you know. And so it, it, it's tough. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the sort of catch-22, I think, of, of movie marketing and, and setting up ideas and stuff like is that they want something original, but yet it's got to have <laughs> a security net of a pre-existing movie that's proven this concept in, to a degree, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, Mr. Packard, if you were out there, if anyone knows how to get in touch with him, man, I think we should have him on, Craig. I think that would be really, really interesting. Yeah. I would love to hear from Damon. You should ask him, yeah, to see a movie. Yeah, because I think he's a little bit of an encyclopedia of this stuff, of, of uh, he'd have to some incredible stuff. So, I bet he yeah. could transport you guys to another world. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, we've done this before where we've watched a movie and like try to see what other ideas this might inspire. Did this spark anything for you? You've got a pitch that you want to deliver to the sultry ears of Todd Roja and myself. Uh, no. Okay. All right. Later. <laughs> I, I didn't come up with it with, with an idea to pitch. Uh, I was hoping I was going to come up with one when you were talking, Sean, to be honest. Oh. Um, cause <laughs> I it's still, actually I will a say, movie I will... that is filled with ideas. That's the thing. Like, yeah. This would be like a great writer's block movie too, I feel like. Yeah, because, I mean, I was thinking like there's so many different things. I was like, this could be, you could do a version, you could literally cut a version of this very movie that's just about a a homeless guy selling watches, right? (laughs) And that's kind of interesting. 
or you could do, which is, I'm still kind of excited about the idea of the amusement park movie. I, I you know, aside from vacation, sure. Uh, I, I don't think adventure, you know, Adventureland didn't quite rattle no. me the way I was hoping it would. Uh, Escape from Tomorrow did not as well. Um, I admire all of them, uh, and but such a, you're talking about people falling off of rides. I mean, there's yeah, such, no one's gonna go for it. It's such a it's a hard movie to make, I think, because of production value, right? Uh, it's, it's hard. How do you shoot an amusement park? I mean, it's got to be yeah. a nightmare. But that I, I, I we got to figure out an idea for an amusement park. I liked how he did it in this. Todd. Just like a, 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 a ride go. goes by, you cut to a guy flying through the air, yeah. cut to a guy hitting the ground, close up of a brain's coming out. I mean, like that's so good. You don't got anything to pitch, Craig? I, I man, I, I mean, I don't. I, I know, I know. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I, okay. I just. How about a remake? I can't How believe... Would you, who would you cast in this as, as your remake? That's an interesting one, yeah. So it's it's really caught on. All the executives love it. Damon Packard's murdered. But they just don't want to release this movie. They want to make a completely different one. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to... Um, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, who, who, would, who would play Damon Packard right now? I'm going to go against type. Yeah. Not necessarily against type, against gender. Oh. Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. That's interesting. <laughs> Boom. Bank. That's an interesting Bank. one. So oh. this is now a Paul Feig movie. Yeah. And it could be. Yeah. Could be. I still would get Damon Packer to direct it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd it would seem amazing, rude but... not to. <laughs> yeah. It would <laughs> I mean Melissa McCarthy it would be tacky. Damon Packard's Reflections of Evil too. Paul Feig's funniest movie about nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> but I I wanted to I wanted to Evil Dead to it though. I wanted to be a continuation of the first movie, but also be the first movie and then also mm-hmm. be continued at the end. <laughs> yep. And like the ends of Bridesmaids, you know, when instead of Wilson Phillips coming out and playing, the Carpenters come out and do a live show. Yeah. yeah. And the, the audience loves that stuff. <laughs> There's no better way to send people out than bring on a beloved half dead duo. Mm-hmm. Or a full dead duo. Are they both dead? No, I don't know. I'd say that would be interesting. That would, yeah, that would be extra interesting if they were both dead. Mm-hmm. Yes, propped up two corpses. Yeah, played a song. Any closing thoughts on reflections of evil or life or filmmaking? Uh, this has just been a total pleasure to sit down with you guys in the same room like this well, and and, yeah. and and talk about uh, one of my favorite movies. Um, no, I just hope that uh, more movies like this get made before I, I pass on, so that I don't feel so bad about um, the waste of time I've put into the you know the existence I've been given by God above. <laughs> let's just let's just sit here Our, quietly for the last few minutes while the tape runs out, and just, okay. just look at each other. Todd, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Super fun. I love you, Craig. I love you, Sean. Love you, Todd. All right. Have I a love good... your wives. I love your kids. Oh, what? Uh, okay, keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> is that the sign out? Yeah, kind of. This is Craig and Sean. You guys keep reaching for the stars. Let's talk about next time. I have one title for you, and I'm pretty much positive you've never heard of it. Okay. Uh, And I think I'm just going to hit you with one title this time. Oh, wow. That's confidence right there. The movie is Soldier Blue. Soldier Blue. 
Soldier Blue. Two words. Soldier Blue. S O L D I E R space B L U E. <laughs> I feel like that's like, <laughs> like a futuristic uh, Dolph Lundgren movie or something. But no, Craig, I have never heard of Soldier Blue. I'm excited right. to check it out. Where uh, can I watch it? Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. Great. Okay. That's right. All right. Well, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, look us up on websites and other places. <laughs> and uh, you know what to do. It's it's the internet. Come on. We don't have to explain this stuff. Yeah, you can find us. But uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. 